Welcome to the show. This is the PMDD podcast, and my name is Adriana Tanto. Before we jump into this amazing episode, I would just like to friendly remind everyone to please ensure that they subscribe or follow or whatever it is that you need to do to stay up to date with upcoming episodes on your listening platform. Also, please make sure that you give us a follow at the Instagram page at the underscore PMDD podcast. Now, Let's get into the disclaimer and the episode. I am warning listeners that there may be sensitive topics surrounding mental health and health procedures. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Oh my goodness, I am super excited (laughs) about this upcoming episode. I have Dr. Jill McDerrett here on the line. So I'd love, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I have to give the backstory of how we are here right now because uh, I actually reached out to you via your website uh, maybe it was like a month or so ago. Anyways, your assistant got in touch with me. We had a bit of a chat. In my eyes, you were... Like you were a sexologist. That was it. That's all I sort of knew about you. And then Mm -hmm. I didn't get anything back from her. So I emailed again and lo and behold, uh, the email bounced back. So I was like, ah, so I just directly emailed you instead and gave you my little spiel. And it just so happens that not only are you a sexologist, but you also (laughs) were diagnosed with PMDD. Yes. The universe decided we needed to talk. <laughs> um, yeah. And how, you know, it, it just so happened. I um, just hired a new assistant. So you must have reached out in that window when, when one person was leaving and the new person was taking over. And so I'm just so glad that you continue to follow up and just didn't shrug and be like, oh, well, I guess never mind. But you followed up and here we are. So I love that. <gasps> oh, I'm persistent when I want something <laughs> especially because now, you know, we're up to maybe episode 1819 at the moment. So, you know, the the objective at the beginning was really to have a platform for for people that have been diagnosed with PMDD to come and share their stories because I felt like it was such a beautiful healing way for them to share and obviously for the listeners not to feel alone. And then sort of we went into with um, professionals that are specifically helping those diagnosed with PMDD with, you know, strategies and treatments. But then I thought, you know what, what would give great value is actually picking specific subjects that we are struggling with. And the first thing that came into my mind, sex, (laughs) sex, sex, sex. And I actually reached out to a few of my listeners privately because I wanted to get their feedback. And a lot of them were like, sex, relationships, give us the, (laughs) give us the deets on that. So um, I would love to start um, with, your journey with PMDD. I think that would be the best place to start. Sure. Um, so I, um, it's actually kind of similar. So I was, when I was growing up, I was very, um, embarrassed to talk about anything related to bodies and sexuality, including menstruation. And so 
that is actually part of what made me want to get into this field to begin with. Because I'm like, if I'm feeling so much shame and my parents were very open-minded and they weren't shaming me, but somehow I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. It's embarrassing. So many other people might. So I wanted to become a sexologist to help um, people feel more comfortable. One of the things that I was super, very uh, uncomfortable to discuss was menstruation. I didn't tell my mother when I got my period when I was 11 for months till she found out. Um, And I didn't really talk much about the, uh, the experience I was having with cramping and with, with what I now know to be PMDD. I did not know this at the time. Right. So I was, it first got chopped up to puberty, you know, she's having these outbursts of rage, um, she's behaving in this way. And so it kind of got chopped to that. And then, um, as I got older and started understanding how PMS work, I thought, oh, it must be this, but I couldn't, it just, it seemed very extreme in my experience, my mood swings and, um, the physiological and emotional experiences I had, um, were so extreme it actually ended up happening how I, I guess I got the diagnosis, which is I, I feel like the United States is the only place that has mis- has this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they advertise prescription medication on our television. You know, this is so this is so funny that you should say this because literally we would I, in the episode that I recorded yesterday, um, Sarah spoke about how all the, you know, the drug advertising that she sees. And I'm like, in Australia, we do not get any of that. Yes. None. Yeah. None. Which is thing. <laughs> but in this case, it just actually happened to be a good thing for me that they did. So it was um a particular brand of birth control that was approved by our federal government to treat PMDD. So when they were advertising it (sighs) and they always say at the end, talk to your, that's always the tagline, no matter what the drug is, talk to your doctor about this. Um, And so they said, you know, are you experiencing these, 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 these symptoms? (gasps) It could be PMDD. Talk to your doctor about blah, 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 brand birth control pill. And I was already on birth control pill anyway. So I was like, oh my gosh, I kind of just had this aha moment. Could it be this? And I started researching and did ask my doctor, not specifically for that medication, but about PMDD. And they're like, oh yeah, that's what you have. I'm like, well, thanks for telling me. (laughs) But um, yeah, so that is the, I guess, the the discovery. Um, And then with, with the diagnosis, what I found is, the way that the medication was prescribed to me was to take it continuously. Mm. So just taking the birth, never basically having a period. That was the soft. Well, if you don't have a period, you can't get the premenstrual dysphoric symptoms. Um, So let's just, and so that's kind of been the treatment that I have been experiencing. Mm. That was 11. Right. So So you are still on the pill. Yes. Yes. And so, and where are your symptoms at at the moment? Um, as long as um, I do not get breakthrough bleeding. So sometimes I'll still just get a period anyway, even though I'm just never taking those sugar pills, just constantly mm. opening a new pack um, to always just be on continuous hormones. And so I do not get a period every once in a while, maybe two times a year on average. I'll just get it anyway. I guess my body's like, all right, we can 
it will happen. And that will, I will experience the symptoms that I tend to experience, which is, um, I don't know how much, but I experience like the mood swings, unbelievable rage. It can be depending. Sometimes it can be suicidal ideations. Um, it's a lot of physiological symptoms, gastrointestinal, um, lots of cramping, um, like debilitating, like can't go to work, can't get out of bed. Um, so that can happen. Okay, so obviously we need to chat about how you got into being a sexologist and how this, yeah, and how it relates to PMDD. Yeah, sure. So, you know, around a similar time, right, like the teenage years, um, the menstruation and PMDD was just one of many things that I felt uh, bashful about to an extent where I'm like, I don't feel like this is normal. Uh, had my first boyfriend, fell in love for the first time, had my first sexual experience. And all these firsts, I was very squeamish about him. Oh, I don't want to talk about this and just very uncomfortable. So I kind of started doing my own research in my high school library and found out some of my own information and realized, well, I had been misled. You know, I haven't been taught accurately a lot of things about sexuality between magazines and movies and sex ed class. I just really did had been misinformed. And so I decided I need to be a, a light, a beacon of correct information where people could mm. learn and also not feel ashamed and embarrassed. And so I was a teenager and I decided I wanted to do this for a living, pursued it at the bachelor level, um, earned a bachelor's degree in sexuality, marriage and family, went and did a master's degree, went and did a PhD. So it was just something that I was very passionate about. Um, and then started my own company doing adult sex education, uh, coaching, writing, you know, all the different ways that I could reach people, um, whatever the format, just to get these conversations started. Mm. And I have found that anytime that I've talked about PMDD, like on social media, if I've ever written about it or posted about it, um, the, the response is very, very strong, very powerful. Mm. A lot of people are, we're not talking enough about this. And, um, so that's been, I think for me, interesting is that I wonder, is this just on the long list of things related to sexuality and women's, uh, bodies and experiences in general that are just, um, treated in a shame-based manner. And so we don't really talk about them, which is why I love that you're talking about it. By the way. <laughs> um, so that's, what's come up for me. Yeah. Is wondering, gosh, is this just on that list of things that we're not allowed to talk about? Oh, totally. I mean, look, to be honest, if if you had have asked me a few years ago, would I be doing a podcast <laughs> on menstrual, you know, the menstrual cycle, mental health, suicide ideation, and then let's throw in sex all in <laughs> the same episode, I would have I would have laughed, right? But but this particular subject is like was the top of my list. It was the top of my list because when I was in the height, like when I was, you know, suffering at my the peak point of PMDD, when I was with my partner and I was in that hell week, I was I was really, really struggling. And, you know, and I had such a beautiful partner. Like he was very loving and always wanted to support me. But, um, and I remember lying in bed with him and, you know, he would stroke my back and then, you know, and, and, and would initiate that start of play. And, you know, I remember 
my hand like going behind my back and just pulling him down like get away from me get away from me because I just you know I I, I just I don't know I, I don't can't remember if I I felt unworthy or I just was angry I can't remember the exact emotion at that time but I look back on it and I was like oh my goodness what like this is the perfect time to you know to have had a conversation about it and actually spoken about it, about how I was feeling so I mean I'm I'm just going to maybe hope or guess that there are other listeners out there that are maybe resonating with me a little bit on this one. Um, And so I I would love to hear, you know, what have you found, like the correlation between PMDD and sex, like especially during those, those, that time in the luteal phase? Yeah. So what, can often be folks experience and it sounds like this is your experience as well is a lack of desire or even mm. an anti-desire like a repulsion like uh, uh, not only am I interested but I'm offended or disgusted at the at the suggestion that we have mm. sex or sexual encounter um so that can certainly um either directly as a function of the PMDD or indirectly as a function of the stress, the anger, the, uh, you know, the dysphoria, right, um, can, is not really conducive to feeling sexy, feeling like you want to connect with another person or be, um, very into your physical sensations when perhaps your body is not feeling very good. Um, so whether it's directly or indirectly, um, what I've found is that folks are very much not interested and not feeling desire. Mm. Mm. that's yeah that makes a lot more sense now um because you know and and it's interesting because I had that self-awareness as well that I was like something's not right here that's not right I love this person I you know I I'm so in love with this person but I can't I don't want to (laughs) I I just can't so I mean I mean tell us some tips I guess like that's that's so important to us. What? How do we navigate relationships and sex whilst, um, you know, suffering from PMDD? Well, there's, there's, thankfully, I always find it encouraging, right? When there's always so many answers to that question of the what can we do, and it's not like, well, there's nothing. Sorry, you know. On, um, but the reality is, there's many things. There's many things. So, um, one is um, staying aware staying aware that this is, you know, and it, obviously it's different for different folks, but it's usually not a hundred percent of the time, right? It's some stage uh, of the menstrual cycle um, and not forever, right? So trying to not have a um, catastrophizing mindset of, well, this means the relationship is done or this means our sex life is over and this is, you know, what's the point or it's never going to be the same or whatever the thoughts of uh, defeatist kind of thoughts are remembering and trying to keep in mind as best you can of like, this is how I'm feeling right now. Mm. And this doesn't mean that's how I'm going to feel tomorrow or next week. And it doesn't have to mean something bigger about me or the relationship. Mm. So that can be one thing is, is staying, um, staying mindful of that. Um, one, another thing can be to, you know, I, I, I kind of similar to that kind of attached to that is I'm really big on in my work around self-compassion, mm. really big on that because we do a lot of, I think I say we, 
I, we as humans, we as women, we as people who experience menstrual cycles and, and disordered menstrual cycles, um, is that we can do a lot of beating ourselves up. Mm. And um, this is all my fault. And, you know, I'm ruining things, you know, so that type of thing. So being able to be self-compassionate and say, I'm having a hard time right now. Uh, most people having my experience right now probably won't be interested in sex. I can go easy on myself. Um, I can be kind to myself. Um, so I think that's a piece for me. Um, so that's my professional advice. Um, for me, what, because my primary symptom was uh, short fused, you know, quick to rage and extreme anger. Um, what, what became, you know, so if somebody has a symptom like that, what might be helpful is just, um, maintenance, right? It's, it might be a big ask to have something going on in the relationship, like a sexual encounter, which is adding and just be okay with maintaining because mm -hmm. the opposite for me, at least was that it might be, um, harmful, right? There might be more arguing or fighting or me losing my temper at, at my partner. And so just, um, saying we don't have to thrive and grow if we can just maintain right now, that would actually be uh, a win. Right. So just or working on doing repair for when you do lose your temper and being like, OK, you know, repairing the relationship. Um, so that is um, that's my personal piece. Yeah. So those three things. Mm. Mindful, non-catastrophizing, self-compassion and uh, and giving yourself the, the break to just be in maintenance for that period of time. Mm. I would love for you to maybe dive into a little bit more of the self-compassion, if that's okay. I think that that's such an important thing about not like maybe just give a, maybe a few more tips or things that people can take home um, to do. I know that you mentioned, you know, not beating yourself up and, but some, what are some other loving kind things that we can sort of say to ourselves or even do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, there is a practice called loving kindness. I mentioned loving and kind, where um, it's something that you kind of it's it's there's guided audio and, and all over the internet, or you can kind of come up with your own mantra where you you're, you're kind of sending um, a loving kindness um, mantra to yourself and and to others in the world. And what it does is kind of builds your brain's capacity to hold compassion, even when you feel like yourself or someone else maybe doesn't deserve it. So what you might do every night for five minutes is you think about someone you're close to. Then you think about someone, you know, who's uh, just um, not close or, 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 or distant from you, like whoever's checking you out at the supermarket. Then you think of somebody maybe you're having struggles with and you bring these people into your mind's eye and, and recite some type of mantra of like, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be well, may you um, kind of all these types of things. And then you basically like you're exercising your brain, you literally build a capacity. If you can as easily um, send these kind of compassionate thoughts to your favorite person as the person you're really angry with, um, or struggling with, then your brain is better equipped to show it to yourself when you're not feeling really happy with yourself. So it's like a longer term thing, but often good, good um, solutions to things are right. Then the quick thing mm -hmm. is, yeah, building your brain's capacity to show yourself compassion when you need it by doing loving 
practice uh, practices. Um, another can be um, uh, paying attention to your self talk mm. and how it might feel if your partner, for instance, said that thing to you. Mm. How you might feel. Right. So if you're thinking, oh, here I go again, ruining and ruining another perfectly good sexual encounter. Um, I don't know why I have to be like this. Think about, oh, what if my partner said that to me? I don't know why you always to be like this. I don't know if to keep ruining sex. Like you'd probably be very hurt and very angry and a whole lot of other really valid emotions because um, that's really a terrible thing to say to somebody. Um, so think about um, how you're talking to yourself. Getting into the habit of noticing how you're speaking to yourself um, is another exercise in self-compassion. Mm. Oh, they they are two very strong practices. Um, I am definitely going to look up those ones on the YouTube because that sounds so beautiful. Like, sounds like such a beautiful thing to do just before going to bed, especially right. Because I always think the way that you go to bed, like the mood and emotions, is how you sort of wake up as well so being able to set that tone prior to sleeping I think that's a really magical experience so thank you for sharing sure sure uh, another one that just came to mind too is um this is I do a lot in my work when I work with one-on-one we're with couples in like a coaching capacity and um we talk a lot about realistic expectations mm. because right if if your body I mean I think about when I talk about PMDD I think about let's Use the word dysphoria because the opposite is euphoria, right? And think about euphoria. And um, so this is literally the opposite. <laughs> and so if someone is feeling dysphoria, what is a realistic expectation of that person's time, energy, um, anything? Is it sexual connection? Is that realistic? And so that might shift your mind into feeling less disappointment and less beating yourself up in the first place. Um, if you're like, well, of course I am not in the mood for it right now. Mm. That's, that's, mm, yeah. that's a really good way of looking at it. I never sort of made that sort of connection by, yeah, the opposite of dysphoria is euphoria. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing just something simple like that. You're just like, oh, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Like I said before, I had spoken to um, a few of my listeners, obviously, about Mm -hmm. what subjects they wanted to speak about. And when I mentioned that, you know, obviously I'd wanted to speak about sex, but, you know, there's also other ways that we can pleasure ourselves. And there was a few, yeah, and I think that this is definitely another taboo subject that I would like to sort of dive into um, and maybe, you know, maybe have a bit more chat about how us ladies, um, you know, and AFAB, obviously, if they're listening out there, um, how, like, we don't just need it in the bedroom, like with another person, we can self-pleasure ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, masturbation is um, is a tool in the toolbox that fixes and helps with so many things, and this is one of them, right? So it can if, if things are dysphoric, right, the opposite of dysphoric, so everything is terrible, everything feels awful, when you can bring yourself some sort of pleasure, mm. that's really powerful. Um, 
so even if it's not physical, right? Even if you, if it doesn't lead to an orgasm or just taking the time to be like, I'm going to do something for myself can be very powerful. Mm. Um, and then it could also, um, so one of the things that is often described as euphoric is orgasm. So, you know, that can be a way to counteract feelings of dysphoria and experiences of dysphoria. If, if that works for you know somebody and they're up for that, it also has physiological, um, pluses benefits that can help with some of the experiences that some people have with PMDD, the cramping and the stress, um, and things like that. Um, it's really, um, a boost of all the feel good hormones that are, uh, or neurotransmitters rather, um, that can counteract some of the, the things going on in the brain that are making you feel so, so unpleasant. So there's, yes. So in short, yes, team masturbation. And um, I one, one of the very many cool things I have as part of my job is I'm uh, as I work as the resident sexologist for a sex toy manufacturer doing cool sex education videos for them and their consumers. And so you can't see off screen here. I have a massive box of the latest vibrators on the market to so that I can test and write about. So it's kind of one of those things in my world where like sex toys exist all over my office and they're just sex toys are everywhere. But it's a good reminder that sometimes this can be taboo for folks. And mm. so, um, yes. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Oh, there was no way I was going to get through, <laughs> going to get through this podcast without talking about it because I think, you know, we don't talk about it enough, you know. It's like with my close girlfriends, we do because they're the type of, you know, that, that's the type of people I like to surround myself with. But it's really interesting that you, you know, you talk about how, like, because I know, like, during times of um, the height of PMDD, even when sometimes because I've been, um, because I, I have uh, uh, was diagnosed with endometriosis as well, so the pain. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, it it gets a bit unbearable. It's getting really, really better soon. But I have definitely, um, definitely, you know, experienced and given myself self-pleasure during the the luteal phase and even sometimes through through my period as well. And it really changes things like the mood and everything. So can you, I I mean, but some, and I, and I think though, something that happens as well is that I forget about it as well. Like it's that, that this is a tool mm-hmm. that I, that I can use to help me. Can you explain a little bit of what is like when we orgasm, what is actually happening and why it's so important for us to regularly do it? Yeah. So there's a lot going on. It's actually a really, really complicated physiological set of um, mechanism. And so what's what's happening in the body is that the blood vessels um, in the clitoris or penis, uh, they, they get filled with blood during arousal, right? An erection, or if you think about it that way. And then the stimulation of that area basically the blood vessels are at capacity and they're like, I can't handle any more. Um, blood basically to to stretch any further and so the muscles around the these blood vessels of the clitoris and and or penis 
is clenched and they start to rhythmically clench, uh, pushes the blood out and back to the rest of the body, which is why it uh, feels like relief because mm-hmm. literally opening a valve of pressure that has been building. It's also why people feel very uncomfortable if they're turned on and it doesn't lead to an orgasm because all that blood kind of sits there and it has to drain out slowly on its own rather than being released. Now that's what's happening in the body. What, what that experience does is trigger the brain to, to release the, um, you know, the dopamine and the cuddle hormone, the uh, oxytocin and the, um, not the serotonin. What is the, oh gosh, my neurotransmitters are escaping me today. Um, Adrenaline, adrenaline, Um, endorphins, endorphins. Thank you. So the endorphins, the three of those come together and it feels euphoric. Literally your blood Mm. is flat or your brain is flooded with these experiences of pleasure physiologically, but also emotionally. And that is why it feels so good because we're getting basically like um, drugged up. (laughs) Our brain is drugging us up on all the feel good stuff. Um, So that's what's happening. And which is why it can be counterintuitive, right? Like if you have no desire, Mm. the last thing you want to do is engage in a sexual encounter, right? Mm. Um, But (laughs) masturbation, if you can do that, if you're not up for it in a partnered way, but if you can do it for yourself, you can stand to benefit from all of those feel-good brain experiences, which can offset some of the unpleasant things. Mm, mm. I'm, I'm just like, the question that's coming into my head is like, it's, it, this is really important, right. For us to orgasm on a regular basis. Right. I is think, it- yeah, I think it's, it has its many benefits. I mean, some people don't like to, or want to, and that's fine too. But I think, yeah, I think most people tend to, yeah. Want to regularly. Mm. Well, why wouldn't you with all these happy hormones, like all these, <laughs> with all these happy feelings coming out mm-hmm. from it? But I mean, I do respect the fact that when we're in that, when we're in that hell week or we're in that zone, um, uh, another, um, another person that I interviewed recently, Natalie, she says, don't call it hell week. And I'm trying to remember today it's self-care week. So I, I, I'm, I just, I'm just picking up on my words just then myself. <laughs> it's self-care week. So, um, you know, when we're, when we're trying to manage this week, I mean, we really need to keep building our tool belt. So maybe I'm just thinking, you know, with our, with listeners out there, you know, we, we are obviously practicing a lot of self-care where we're, we're attempting to maybe, you know, having this self-pleasure act experience, maybe adding that to the list just so that you could remember, you know, that this is obviously a tool that you can use. Um, you know, and maybe at the time you'll see and you're like, this is the last thing I feel like doing, but at least it's there. And then maybe one day, because it could actually, I know for myself, it gave me a lot of relief. That's the best word that I can actually, because you're in such a, you're such, you're such in a tiz, right? In that tiz mode that you, you can't think of it. But if you can think of doing that self-pleasure act, it really does snap you out of it. Um, what I have found. So I'm so happy we got to chat about that. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we tend to think about like 
masturbation being like the sexy thing. And it is, and it can be, um, it can be very utilitarian. My, my husband will joke at me because if I've had a bad day or I didn't sleep well, but I can't fall asleep or if it's PMDD or it's like I worked for 17 straight hours because that's sometimes what you need to do when you're self-employed. And darn it, I'm going to do something for myself and it's 3 a.m., but I'm going to do it. And all this comes to like, I'm choosing to masturbate. And he's like, he's like, it's so funny how utilitarian it is. It's so functional. He's like, it's not like I feel desire and I want to You're like, I need to sleep. I need to distress. I need to treat myself. Um, and I'm like, yes, yes, you know, absolutely. So yeah, if you're just like, I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel particularly sexy and I don't have desire, but I need to treat myself or I need to relieve some of this, ah, that I'm feeling. Yeah. The masturbation can certainly be in the tool belt. Mm. Absolutely. Did you hear that, listeners? Pop that one in the tool belt. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It has been such a pleasure um, chatting with you. I'm so grateful for your time. We need to dive in. Like, please tell us how people can find you. What is it that you're doing at the moment? Give us the spiel. Yes. So my Instagram is sexdocjill, like sexdocjill. And I post all kinds of informative things. If you just kind of want to want to lurk and learn from afar, that's a place to do that. If you're interested in potentially working with me in some capacity, whether it's one-on-one or some type of speaking event or anything related to sexuality and PMDD or sexuality in general, um, the best way to reach me for something like that and find out more about that is my website, which is thesexologist.org. Excellent. Amazing. Thanks for that. And I will definitely pop all those um, links and everything in the show notes. So um, once again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a truly, I'm just so happy that this happened. I am truly so, so happy. So thank you very much again. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for talking about these things. It's so important. And I really um, appreciate that you're doing that. Thank you for listening to this episode please ensure that you like, subscribe, follow, or whatever it is that you need to do to keep up to date with new episodes on your podcast listening platform. If you would like to get in touch with me, please email me at thepmddpodcast at gmail.com. Please make sure that you follow our new home on Instagram, which is at the underscore PMDD podcast. Thank you so much again. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Much love.